How are you doing? I'm, I'm surviving. You don't look so disheveled for a man that just went backcountry skiing in the Canadian Rockies. Well, you've only got me. Uh, you've only got me from the waist up. You should see. Uh, there's a cowboy. All I've got is a cowboy hat. You know, covering nice. the. Yeah, it makes shirt, sense. So makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Well, I appreciate you wearing a shirt. Not, not maybe not though. I don't know. It's hard to know. But anyway. Yeah. They. they where'd, you, where, where'd you go backcountry skiing? Uh, so I definitely want to include this in the the podcast, but, uh, so really, uh, friendly local guy, friend, friend of the podcast, uh, Alaric fish, who, uh, you may know he's the, uh, manager of the Canmore Nordic center and, uh, just likes listening to the podcast. I ran into him on one of the trails and chatted with him a bit more. And he like, just offered to take me out for a tour. And I had, I just kind of put my life in his hands. He seemed like a, a pretty reasonable, guy nice guy and uh he took me out in the spray valley and we went up uh and skied some like little uh kind of shoots off of mount shark off of like a kind of shoulder up there and i would not say it was like prime time uh and it was definitely some like spicy uh spicy up track like through some pretty like rowdy spruce and like almost like cliffy um you know just little little things to navigate but it was a totally awesome adventure ski the views were epic and just to kind of see that country back there like you drive up behind the nordic center where like i think if you live here you understand that there's a bunch of hydropower infrastructure and just glorious god's country back there but i think for me being totally clueless about this area it was like whoa you can just drive directly between you know it felt like you were driving somewhere into like lord of the rings land it was just it was lit so i was super grateful beautiful day like the skiing was totally fine and nobody nobody took any core shots or anything like that so nice well nice i'm alaric is alaric's a total beauty so you're uh you're in good hands there and i'm super jealous the spray lakes and whole all of kananaskis country which those mountains are called between like camor and out towards um highwood pass there is it's I mean, I'm in the biggest Camor area booster since I just love it. Lived there for over 16 years, and it's my favorite place on planet Earth to be in. Explored a lot of those mountains, backcountry skied a ton and running and, and some climbing back there. And yeah, so it's uh, absolutely stunning. And I'm glad I'm glad you got out with Alric, who is uh, who's a friend or was a friend when I when I lived there. And it's uh, fun that he's taking over the Nordic Center. And I've heard only good things because we've struggled. Camor Nordic Center is a bit strange. It's in a it's a provincial park. So in the past, there was a lot of people that ran the Nordic Center were not cross-country skiers whatsoever. So we had like some of the best trails in the world. And then these guys running it that didn't give a shit about cross-country skiing and never skied. And it meant that like early season, the the conditions weren't great. So it's uh, nice to see a guy like Alric take it over and I uh, heard conditions and everything have been just A+. plus. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool to see like all the stuff they're doing there so um and and i will say he totally like he sandbagged me a little bit he was like you know we'll go up the the blue square option and then you know i'm like looking down being like this is about as big as anything as i ski in alaska and then i'm also pretty smoked from the past like week of work and uh and he was like no worries i'm 52 you know i'm not going hard these days and then we're like halfway up the skin track and he's like yeah, so like in the late '80s or '90s when I raced the World Cup in uh, in Canmore, and I was like, "Oh, I I see I see how this is." So, um, yeah, definitely definite difference in 
quality of, of fitness here, but um, yeah, it was a good time. But anyway, you know, people, uh, they're not calling in to listen to me talk about, you know, the vacation part of the working vacation. So they're really here to listen to you. But I am. Yeah. But but I'm here. I'm I'm here to I'm here to listen to your backcountry CD stories. So, but we we've got some uh, we've got some work to do. There were some there was some racing yesterday. I'd yeah. say the women's race was like riveting as usual. Yes. The men's race yes. was fine. Wow, you're generous. The men's race was predictable, boring until the last one kilometer. If that. So so, so you were no, it kind of was because then you know like. Okay, last lap. I'll give it last lap because then you had Musgrave fake try and you had Kruger fake try. Um, but still, it was the men's race was wow. It's too bad. The course is great. The views were great. We saw what Kruger did in the, in the 15K skate. You can attack on that course, but when you looked at the start field and some of the great classic skiers there, you know, when you saw them just kind of like waltz out of the start and level one, you're like, okay. We're not going to have this. We're not going to have a repeat of uh, what happened in the 15K skate a couple of days before. That said, the, it was still beautiful views and conditions looked great and people were skiing well. So for those that are like watching cross-country skiing on uh, on TV or watching it live, there was a lot of great action to see. And it's not every day you get to watch the best skiers in the world compete in North America. So, And in both techniques, I think we're really, really lucky with four races here in Canmore and to see like sprinting and, and classic and skate races and the distance side of things. So um, there was positives, but as far as like a riveting event, it's, it was a big contrast for me compared to the women's race, which I actually like love. I, I mean, we, we we're just at this point in the season, we're just kind of repeating ourselves, but women's racing has been incredibly exciting. And this was, this was no exception. What did you see out there on the trails? Let's start with the women. Yeah. Well, so I had a pretty fun time, you know, like there were, uh, I have nothing but good things to say about the organizers, but I think, uh, it, well, and what I will say is they had some like definitely serious volunteers who were doing their jobs and stopping people from crossing the trail. Uh, and so, uh, yesterday morning before the women's race, I like did this like epic hike up and like over all the way up to the top of the course so that I could like actually be out there and see these, uh, women like skiing up the main climb up to the top. And so I was hanging out there, like basically like in a coach's zone and, uh, you know, it was interesting. I think it was totally clear by lap two the 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 big story I thought for the women's race, you know, at least for our audience was like by lap two, I was watching Jesse Diggins like flailing around out there. And I don't know what you could pick up from TV, but it just was like she was not getting kicked. And I, you know, she talked, we uh, I'll, we'll, we'll kind of just sort of skip straight to the finish with her. She she was like pretty blunt at at the finish being like, yep. And, and she was really you know, in a way she was mostly being positive about the, the U S ski team service staff and saying like, I've had good skis all season and these skis did not work for me today. And, you know, she just did not have the kick she needed to compete. I think I talked to a coach from another country who was kind of like, uh, you know, how much of this is really about wax and how much is it about someone who, if their wax is marginal, does not necessarily have like sterling technique to make the wax work for them. And maybe I'll just stop there and ask what you thought about that sort of seeing that with, with Diggins yesterday. Yeah, no, I, I, I saw the same, but I mean, we've, we've been just 
singing her praises for her classic skiing this season. It has been amazing. The improvement in her classic skiing technically has been stunning. And even in challenging conditions with skis that are marginal, like in the Tour de Ski, for example, I mean, she was a big time fighter, but she also didn't have like the world's best skis. Nobody did in Davos because with all that fresh snow and glazing, it's, it's just a really tricky condition. And yeah, maybe it wasn't the prettiest she's looked classic skiing in, uh, in, in Davos. She, she really was able to make it work and, and had an amazing finish there. Whereas here in Camor, you know, like she looked a bit tired. I'm not going to lie. Like she just looked early in the race that she wasn't hitting her angles, even, even on lap one. Um, and just never looked comfortable. She kind of looked like a Jesse Diggins of old in classic. And then when you have skis that you feel are a little slippery and perhaps you have a body that maybe is a, a little tired or, or maybe not, maybe, maybe barely noticeable, but just that neuromuscular sharpness is missing after all these races. And especially the tough sprint the day before and then the, and the win the day before that, that, that um, she just wasn't able to to do it. I thought she fought incredibly well. The fact that she was 10th and looked like that, like you said, after lap two is, is a testament actually, because this is a punishing course, especially from the bottom of camera all the way to the top. It's kind of like middle altitude, which for Diggins doesn't affect her. She's one of the best athletes in the world to race at altitude. But uh, I agree. She didn't look great. And it, it was interesting to hear her say that her skis were, not working well. I mean, uh, I was on working with Norwegian television yesterday and some of the experts there like uh, Nicholas Dierhug or, or like Hans Kristerholen and stuff, we were just talking and noticing like how, how Jesse was skiing and, and everyone was like, yeah, and like, she just doesn't look like she's having the best day ever. And I look, I look at like Rosie Brennan in 13th again, Rosie's kind of come off her form. She's exhausted. She, I mean, I thought this was a better race that compared to some that she's had lately. Um, but still was, was 13th and, and not what she wanted. So it'd be interesting to hear what she thought of her skis. And like Sophia Lockley actually is quite a, sorry, Sophia, like you're an amazing athlete. You're an amazing skate skier, but classic just isn't your jam really. And I thought she had a phenomenal race to be 14th and results aside, like maybe 14th for, for those that aren't deep in the weeds with cross country skiing and follow it super, super closely. Like, why are we, why are we singing the praises of a 14th place? I'm singing the praises of a 14th place because she was 50 seconds back and she was in that top 10 group for like the entire way. And that is an incredible improvement for an athlete that is known for steep, hard skate courses. And I thought that was pretty amazing. And she also skis on Solomon. So it's just, it's always anytime with skis. Uh, and this was the same when I raced and Alex raced and we had to answer to the media with this too. And, and I'm not saying that it um, means that Jesse didn't have good skis. Cause if she's the best skier in the world, she said she didn't have good skis. She definitely didn't look good out there uh, on the later laps. And she was struggling with her kick for everyone to see. So of course I'm taking that at face value. I'm sure she didn't have good skis, but I'm, I am always curious of what, like what the other American athletes and her peers were saying about their, their skis, not, not about the race. I'm sure Rosie was a little disappointed, but I, I hope Sophia was, was psyched with her, with her effort. So did you get any Intel on that at the mix zone? Nothing. Okay. I didn't, I, I, you know, uh, well, we heard from Rosie who I think, you know, continues to be sort of not, she was not satisfied with that result yesterday. No. I mean, may, yeah, maybe she was actually, I should retract that. I like, I think we didn't hear a lot from her. Just there were, she was not very emphatic. It sounds like she's got some stuff going on in her life that she, you know, is just, I don't know what it is. And she wasn't necessarily ready to share it, but it sounds like, you know, she's just had some, 
stuff going on that's making stuff more difficult for her than feels like it's not really you know she's just not like in the zone right now and and i missed laukley in the finish line yesterday so i i didn't hear anything from her and did not necessarily hear sort of an across the board review but i you know also did not see those women struggling in the same way that you saw jesse struggling too um i, I actually hey, one, i also one, one, to... sorry sorry continue uh, sorry to cut you off you continue i got a question I, I i well i had a question too which was i am curious to hear you talk about and, and i'm gonna bring in sort of a little bit of a non sequitur and fast forward but um I think an interesting anecdote uh, that sort of relates to this sort of point in the season and what people are doing to kind of stay competitive and fresh and not run themselves into the ground. I went for a ski after the race yesterday um, and it was supposed to be an easy ski, but we found ourselves on the uh, Olympic 10, 15 K trail in Canmore, which had been like freshly groomed. And it was, that was like one of the best skis I've like ever had in my whole life. It was, it's like big Hills that go up and it's still narrow. And then they like wind around and down, but you don't have to snow plow. And we're going up. I'm with, I was with a couple other guys and we're going up like the bit, there's like a big ass steep hill where I'm, I'm literally, you know, we're just out for a tour and like altitude and I'm pretty smoked from the past few days. So I'm just, you know, I have no shame. I'm single, you know, single sticking granny skating up this hill. And some guy comes up from behind us and he's like classic skiing. He's like striding. And I was like, Whoa, that's kind of wild. And the dude just strides right past us. And it's Olivier LeVay. This is at like four o'clock on Sunday after, you know, he's just raced like a grueling 20 K. And I was just like, whoa, dude, you'd like training or doing an interval session. And he was, he was like, I don't remember what he said, but he just, you know, he kept on going and, you know, okay. He's, he has world-class fitness, but also like he was not going level one. I, I, I cannot imagine he was going level one, like striding all the way to the top and over that big hill. And I was like, also heard from, you know, one of the Canadian coaches just sort of feeling about one of the athletes, you know, just that like, it's a long effing season and you're seeing that in all the athletes. And I'm curious, like, as someone who dealt with this yourself, like trying to win the world cup, you need to compete in all the races, but at a certain point, it's like, you're managing a lot of fatigue and not enough recovery. And just like, how do you, what is the balance there? What can you do if you find yourself kind of in this place of like deep fatigue um, to, to not just run yourself into the ground? Yeah, that's a really, really hard question. And it, 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 I can answer from both sides of that spectrum. Like I can answer what it feels like not to win. I've never won the overall world cup, but I've been second and I've been fighting in there. I've been in the top 10 as well and fighting for points week in week out and like jesse i was an all-arounder at my best so sprinting and distance and that means every single race means a lot and every you, there's a lot of pressure that comes with that because you know 10th place for diggins is, is great i mean she's not losing that much ground on that and, and she's got it wrapped up just we've talked about that since the tour she's she's the best gear in the world jesse diggins will hoist the globe if she gets sick tomorrow and doesn't do a single race for the rest of the season okay maybe not but but regardless like she has this thing totally locked um, but that comes with a lot of pressure and that comes with a lot of stress and that comes with a lot of fatigue because every race you're going with like that kind of like pressure on your shoulder and you have to zen out and, and reset and, and do it. But the positive to that, that is uh, you believe in yourself a lot more because you have so much evidence that things are going well, like you're winning races or you're on the podium almost every weekend and, and like you're find yourself 
disappointed to be 10th when you have skis that aren't working for you. Like this is the level you're at. It, it's incredible. So there is an immense amount of energy that comes from that. But I've also been in the position that like Olivier is in, um, you know, where the season has been a nightmare. I mean, he hasn't raced into the top 30 this season yet. And he's raced every single race. It, it, like he skipped some sprints, but he's raced every distance race and he's at home, little weaker field. Um, courses that suit him really well and he can't get it done there either and my only advice and, and this is I've been on both sides I've been on the sides where I just like I'm an idiot and just keep just keep smashing my head against the two by four and hope that I will break it instead of just stopping taking a couple deep breaths looking around me to see if there's a saw or a axe that I can cut through the piece of two by four instead of trying to break it with my head so that that's a that's a really really challenging time for a younger athlete or an athlete that is struggling with with their season or struggling with a bit of fatigue. So that's where the coaching staff and having experienced coaches come into play uh, is super super important. And and I'm not saying for Olivier himself, uh, but but for athletes that are struggling with fatigue, the reality is you have to stop, look yourself in the mirror, have good honest conversations with people that you trust, and start asking yourself, okay. I tried to hit every single target. I went out every single day and it's not working and I'm tired. And there's a lot of great racing left in the season. What is the best form of action here? What do I want? I need to start targeting races essentially. And do I need more training? Do I need more rest? That's hard to know. But one thing that is very evident in like physiology, you don't, you don't have to be in medical school to, to understand the human physiology of this is that, that like, keeping like doing the same thing over and over is going to give you the same result, which is poor. So you, you do have to analyze the situation, listen to your body and, and make some changes. And, and it is hard for these North Americans. It's incredibly hard because they've been away in, since no, early November and they're, they're back in North America, which is great in a lot of ways, but you heard Jetsy, you know, she's been talking in the media. She talked to you about this as well. Like this is a struggle. There's actually like a lot of demands that you're kind of shielded from when you're in Europe honestly because like people don't want people want a piece of Jesse but like some of these other athletes like you are essentially anonymous even if you're having great races like Tony for example top 10 in the world cup he's not getting bombarded with energy sucking things but when you're here there is a lot of things to do and there's a lot of people that want to say hi to you and there's a lot of energy drains there so it's it's not easy to manage your energy it absolutely isn't and like just to come back to that story I mean the the, the, um, the Olympic 50 50k course that you raced that you skied on that's like there's two like one hour skis. Okay. One hour. If you're going like half hard uh, in the world that are by far the best in the world. And that special 15, it's not called the special 15 anymore, but the 50 kilometer course, which was like a 16.7 kilometer loop in Camor is one of the best one hour skis on planet earth. And the only other one that comes close or like is the same is the funny enough, the 50 K course in Lillehammer. It's a 16.7 K course. So anyone that's listening to this and wants to have the most beautiful, 16.7 K ski of their entire life. Let me know, come to Lillehammer and, and ski, ski with me there. And if you're in the Rocky mountains, you got to do that. You got to do that course there that Nat's talking about. Cause it's amazing. But I am going to say, and this is a monologue. I know we'll get the hate mail or whatever, but like Olivier doing that after, after ski, I mean, obviously he's frustrated and he just needed to go out and have that same experience you were having out there, Nat, which is just like, turn his head off. He loves cross country skiing. And he's just like, man, they just freshly groomed this. I'm not going to do the sprint the next day. Like, oh, I just gotta, I just gotta like 
blow off some steam and, and that's what he did. And, and, um, but it's be, I really feel for him. I really, especially for like Olivier and Zav, you know, both those guys uh, made the decision to do the world cups in North America instead of being at under 23s. And sorry, they're not at a world cup level. They haven't been at a world cup level all season. Uh, they thought it was really important to race at home in front of friends and family, which of course you can't fault people for making that decision. They're adults. They can make whatever decision they want, but Top sport is brutal and it's a cruel, cruel, cruel mistress. <laughs> and their teammates in under 23s are winning the mixed relay. They're top 10 in every race, like Lilian Gagnon. They're, they have a gold medal in the sprint with Sonia Schmidt. So Canada had like the best under 23s ever. And you, you have two of our arguably best under 23 athletes that made a different decision and decided to stay home for these world cups. And I've just been packed fill at best. And that that's hard. That is hard to take. And when you're tired and all that, it's, whew, it's, it's a, it's a big load. So I'm wishing them well, but I really, really hope that their coaches and, and people around them can, can sit down and talk with them and be like, okay, well, we gotta, we actually have to look at what what's left in the season. Cause there's still ways that you can target races and have great performances to close your season off with a smile. So on that note, I think uh, we got halfway through uh, the women's race before we, you know, took a, took a little bit a bit of a turn, a, a valuable turn, I think, for any you know young athletes and even masters athletes. I think who are listening to this podcast, like I feel like there's such a consistent theme that like you got to know when to change it up and when to stop doing what you're doing if you're grinding yourself down. But you know who was not grinding themselves down yesterday were. Uh, Frida Carlson of Sweden and Kertu Niskanen uh, of, of Finland. And uh, just uh, the way that that race unfolded, I just, I loved kind of watching. It, it was such a difference between the men's and the women's like style of racing. And in a way it sort of felt like going back to the women's races of old where, you know, you had the races like totally just shatter. And, you know, what was fun about this was that, it took some time, right? It was like every lap they were shedding folks and shedding folks. And you just knew that like the last time up this hill, it was going to be everyone going, going for broke. And, um, you know, the way Niskanen was, was skiing the whole race, you could just tell like she was on and, and, but the, the Swedes like Carlson was not giving an inch and you had Austria or Slynn like skiing, really well yesterday and Heidi Wang who's been really pretty hot here in Canmore as well and so yeah I don't know what were your takeaways from like that last lap basically oh I loved it I just gonna parrot uh what you said like you saw the grit and determination of these women and they were skiing so well and I think what, what is so special about Canmore when you race a race like that and the same thing happened in the men's 15k skate a couple days ago it's like people look great till they don't and then it's a real war of attrition and that like to me like i'm old school man like that's cross-country skiing to me and and when you win a race like frida won and Kertu, who who was also like right there i mean she lost she was second but she had a beautiful race but they made the race and they got rewarded for that like gritty gritty effort but they did it looking so beautiful. They like they were skiing so beautifully, like like Playbo what does when he's in at his best. Like classic skiing, when your technique is on point and you're able to just just feather that red line the entire distance race, like these two women did. <laughs> it makes for just phenomenal racing and 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 just like exciting stuff to to follow. And and when they were coming up that last hill, I don't know if you noticed this, but like 
Heidi, who actually like Heidi and Austin did like a great job in the end. They were only eight seconds back from these two women. But you saw the moment when they came over that bridge and they turned over to get up going up the wall. Bang. Frida and Kirtu, high hips, hitting their angles, hitting their kicks, square shoulders, looking like a million bucks. And Atadoyoshlin, who had really great technique all day yesterday for five and a half laps, came undone. And Heidi also, she didn't look at, it wasn't as noticeable as, as Kirt, uh, sorry, as uh, Astrid, but also starts coming undone technically. Stadlober, who was there looking so great for the entire race, completely kaboomed with like, just over, just under three kilometers to go, losing 30 seconds uh, in, in only the, the matter of like two kilometers or two and a half kilometers, essentially. And, and it just was like fascinating to watch. And all the power to Frida Carlson when she's skiing like that, she's pretty hard to beat or hard to beat. She, she's almost impossible to beat. And Kirtu, uh, this was two women at the top of their game firing on all cylinders. And it was awesome to see i will say because you interviewed astrid that that um the listeners will have a treat and listen to that hopefully in the next little bit here but astrid i couldn't stay up for that interview because i'm too shattered too uh but she does the same thing twice she leads down the big downhill with heidi right behind her and speaking of doing the same thing and expecting different results oh I was pulling my hair out because Astrid did look so good. And I'm at the top of that hill. I'm like, Astrid, please stop. Please just stop and let Heidi go down the hill first. Like, just stop. You're a better sprinter than Eva Anderson. You don't have to worry about her. You only have to worry about Heidi. And, and like, Teresa Stadlober is shattered and, like, not even in view. So just stop at the top and let Heidi go down first or let Eva take it out. And instead, no, she tries to go down first but doesn't do it like the men like she doesn't stand up and try and like kind of kill her speed for half the hill she just kind of like goes over the hill and creates a great draft effect and and Heidi uh, you know she was pulled out a little early sure blah 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 and like maybe didn't have the best slingshot compared to a couple days ago but still had the slingshot she needed to beat Astrid to the line and my heart kind of broke because Astrid had two great races after a really challenging season so but it was it was just an awesome race all around I I just I thought it was I just thought it had it had everything. I was a bit surprised. I don't know if you were too, but like Henning, who's been so good in classic, she was in that second group or like that big group, uh, that, that top 10 group with Jesse. And and she also didn't look that great out there um, to the me. Germans but, have not been firing no, on them. No, on they haven't been firing on them. No, exactly. And, and like the, the course doesn't suit Victoria Carl. So I wasn't expecting yeah. a whole lot of a Victoria Carl, even though she has been phenomenal in classic. Yep. Uh, but Cam Wars is not really Victoria Carl. Carl's terrain and and the middle altitude compare uh, as well. It's like it just doesn't suit Carl all that great. But but Henning, like I really thought, like I, I kind of had her peg, like oh for sure she'll be top five in this thing, no problem. And and it, you know she she was she got beat by Jesse to the line and was eleventh, and that was that was a little surprising. And then one last thing before we move to the men is like I, C- Catherine Stewart Jones. I mean some of these women you talked to Astrid Oshlin and she probably went on and on about how horrendously bad she sickness has been for her. And Catherine Stewart-Jones as well has just had like, after such a breakout season last season, um, this year has like a good training season too and and came into the season with high hopes and, and feeling good and a good, a good base behind her and then just like got completely leveled with illness and keeps getting leveled with illness. And, you know, she struggled to come through. She was 28 and I mean, 
for someone that wants to be top 10 in her, in her kind of like primo event, uh, distance classic race, of course, she, she's going to be very disappointed, but I thought it was really gutsy of her, honestly. And I saw her out there. She tried at the first, the first few laps, she was in the top 10. She was where she needed to be and her body just let her down a bit. So, uh, but I love that grittiness that, uh, that KSJ has. And I saw that first handled many times last year when I was working with the Canadian national team and, uh, man, just keep going with that because once your body starts playing on your team again, uh, KSJ, like it's good things will happen. So, but that was, that was a bit I, of a, I did, a I, I did want to quickly also mention, you know, I mean, man, this course yesterday, like, so, but I think you can tell me by doing the, the 3.3 K loop six times, like they were going up that huge hill six times. And it's like, it's one thing when you are, Rita Carlson and you are the best in the world and you're skiing up that hill with perfect technique, but man, some of these women in the nation group, like nations group, uh, it was rough and you saw a whole bunch of people drop. Like I watched one Canadian athlete who, you know, I don't think I need a name, but like pull out of the top of the course, like basically end up skiing over to Robin McKeever, like sobbing, you know, and, and just the, I think it's Canmore, you know, I was talking about it with Alaric today, like the courses, it reminds me of Sochi in a way where if you are the best in the world, you can ski those courses like a boss. And if you are anything less than the best in the world, or if you're having an off day, like those courses will fucking break you and, and turn you into just like a pile of jello that, you know, and, and you, I think you didn't see that on TV yesterday, but you saw it really just like, wreck some folks yesterday and it just it the the way that they had those athletes like work yesterday it really you could see it in person and i don't know um maybe time I'm, to... into I'm into it I'm, I'm actually like just to say that like that's what cross-country skiing is and for those younger athletes or those nation group athletes welcome to the bigs that's all i can say welcome to the bigs and sometimes you need a frying pan to the face to realize like you need to work harder and you need to work smarter and you need to be patient and your day will come because if you work hard over time and you work smart, those hills in Canmore will feel smaller. But the hardest thing to do is the simple things day in, day out over a long period of time. And that's what, that's what a lot of like aspiring athletes really struggle with, you know, like it's glamorous. It looks glamorous, right? Like you're traveling, like Jesse's like posting amazing pictures. She's sledding, she's eating fondues and stuff like, yeah, it is. But but the, the, the work that's behind that every day is something that you, you know, I, I love that there's courses like Camor, the, the World Cup course in Lillehammer, not the ones they've been racing lately uh, on the Bathlon side, but the old, the old school ones with the long, long, long climbs when we do 30Ks and go eight times up this, like, just in the stupidest, longest hill of all time. You, you know, like, it, it, I'd be intimidated. Home and goal. The most iconic course there is. I mean, the most iconic course there is, it, it, it's a killer. And that's cross country skiing, baby. And I love it. So, um, but yeah. I, I thought, so I thought it was showing up. The, the other thing too, I'll say, we'll move to the men here. Two things. One is um, talking about skis and conditions. Here's the thing with Camor in February though. It's, it's like bomber tracks. Those tracks were not breaking down at all. So in a lot of ways, although Jesse struggled with her kick, it is pretty easy waxing compared to what it can be. And so they're getting kind of paid for that. If that race was happening in like late March, like we've had like the ski tour Canada ended in, in, in 2016, the last time the world cups were in Canmore and it was like plus 10 and like just deep, deep slush. And then 
then those hills are just when it's like ankle deep slush like then it's just insane but like it was totally bomber track so uh, yeah that was cross-country skiing at its finest and one thing before we move to the men here and we, we got to move to the men because i gotta go to bed um nadine fenrick did you get any intel on that because i saw her at the top of the wall she pulled over and sat down she ended up dropping out and she was in that leading or not, not right right at the sharp end of the race but she was at the pretty much the sharp end, like kind of around diggins and stuff in there. And then all of a sudden, like pulled over, sat down. And then the, the TV cameras kind of like pan to her. And, you know, there was a medic there. I don't know if it was a first responder, like a, or a doctor, whoever it was, but like checking her pulse. And then of course they cut away, they cut away from it. So I'm, I'm, I'm wishing her all the best. I hope it wasn't too serious and it wasn't something like, um, uh, yeah atrial fibrillation or something like there's something that can happen like with a lot of endurance athletes and it just looked a little it looked a little scary and and speaking of athletes that you know were getting chewed up I, I hope it wasn't anything too too serious or maybe she has a cold or something but um i'm wishing her good recovery and I, i'm crossing my fingers it was it was nothing yeah well um speaking of athletes getting some athletes getting chewed up and spit out um we can we can move on to the men's i i, I was gonna comment man poor hugo lapalu uh, the dude has been like, Sick. On, he was, he's on fire at the beginning of the season, second in the tour to ski, third in the tour to ski. And, uh, and then here sure, he's yeah. like had some kind of stomach problem and it's like, yeah. been like just puking like mid race. And, uh, he broke a pole yesterday too. <laughs> that's, that's not the main story, but just, uh, covered that quickly, like rough, rough go for this French guy. Who's really been, uh, uh, skiing at a new level this year um, yeah skiing at a new level and easy to cheer for and fun and, and uh, great for the sport and it's but again like i mean I, i'm not in his body what do i know but i mean god if you are struck and i get it you just traveled all the way over to canada and it's in the mountains at that altitude it suits you really well so you want to try but after you tried in the 15k skate which which suits him incredibly well and it just didn't go uh, i mean seeing him at again like seeing him at the top of the wall like barfing and like stopping essentially i'm just like man oh man like where's the coaching staff with this like like dude you gotta like sometimes the 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 job of the staff is to grab the shoulders of the athlete and be like listen man like it's not your time. Maybe you can come back for, for Minneapolis and have a great race in Minneapolis to take those memories with you over to back to Europe and finish off the season strong. So I hope I I'm wishing him good recovery too, but man, like making those decisions like that, that doesn't just cost you in the moment that that can cost you. Like we're, we, we are deep in the season here and there's not that many races left, but there are races that suit, suit the young French talent there. So uh, I don't know, man, I was kind of shaking my head, but anyway, I mean, you got to, you got to try. I mean, or you, you shouldn't probably, but okay. You felt like you wanted to try and it, it didn't go. And uh, it, was, it was hard to see. I agree. But other than that, the other thing that was hard to see, and we will get hate mail. Oh yes, we will. Because I'm going to get a little negative. I'm going to get a little negative of what I saw. I'm just like, man, oh man, it's a snooze, man. It's a snooze out there. Like when, when you have such a great women's race and, um, the men's race was a snooze. It, it was, nobody was feeling, like the whole field had a collective like we're just going to comfort cruise this to the last lap <laughs> and i felt like i could have read that we were all like sitting in the studio like i said with holden and and niklas like we were hoping that someone would be inspired by kruger and, and try at the halfway mark and, and make some fireworks but with niskanen not there 
and Claybo doesn't need to Paul who actually won and we'll get to that uh you know he he's been struggling he had a he had a horrendous 15k a couple of days before and he, he you know essentially since getting sick just before the tour de ski he just hasn't he hasn't had good his, his good level and he can count on his sprint too right he doesn't have to break the whole field apart a la Kruger um so there was no one in the field that was going to do the job and no one did the job and everyone just kind of cruised around and like the, the top guys I'm, I'm not trying to take away from the national group skiers that that yeah got a, a healthy dose of reality of how good these guys are but they were not working hard uh for a lot of this thing and um but it set up for a great it, it set up for a great finale kind of like a flat stage in the tour de france where no attack where there's like nobody going up the road so you're just kind of seeing the whole peloton like kind of cruise through like the sunflower fields and then the commentators are talking about the castles and you know it's just going to be like a mad sprint to the finish and that'll be exciting that's kind of what camera was now it's a bit disappointing because like you said and what we talked about this course really it, it has the allure and it can make for iconic races like we saw with Kruger in the 15k and we saw with the women's race too but we didn't get that with the men yeah um I, I mean I I it does boggle my mind that like somehow this course with this enormous amount of climbing and like really hard climbing like I I encourage anyone who likes cross-country skiing to like come to Canmore it's gorgeous here and like go ski that world cup 3.3k course because the idea that like this is a course where everyone just like hangs back and has like a sprint finish is like, it, it does boggle your mind if you're not someone who's international level of talent. And, uh, you know, I kind of was up on the hill and came down and watched a bunch of red suits uh, all go for the finish line. And, you know, you could barely pull them apart i was standing with johannes klebo's dad actually just happened to be up there and so that was kind of funny uh you know pretty definitely amazing to see klebo get out sprinted by his teammate pal goldberg however uh we've seen this almost exact thing unfold last year in planitza in the 50k and you know when you have to ski however many hundred vertical meters as those guys skied yesterday like that does some shit to your arms and and i think you know claybo definitely experienced that yesterday he did not um he did not lose by much and and you know compared to his result in the skate race where he actually got smashed by most of his teammates you know i i thought this was like a big improvement for him and probably positive signs for his fitness although i was like i asked his dad i was like do you think he's gonna be think he's gonna be satisfied with that and he was like nope uh, so, I mean, that's, you don't get to be a multiple Olympic gold medalist with an attitude, like being happy with an almost first place. So I, and then, you know, I, it is, I, you alluded to this. I think it's great to see Pal Goldberg, like back on the top after, you know, some ups and downs this season. Also fun to see Mattis Stenshagen, uh, a new, new Norwegian face, younger guy who's, you know, had some, but not a ton of opportunities in, in distance racing. And, you know, he, uh, beats out uh, some legit talent, you know, Tone Seth and and um, Valmas and uh, all the, all these Paroma, all these other guys that are out there. And you know, we could talk a little bit about the the cowboy hat stuff, but you can read about that on Faster Skier. I don't know. I mean, it just it felt like a you know the last kilometer was legitimately exciting. And Norway, 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 Norway. That's that's the story. 
Exactly. And like, even though it was Norway, a lot of Norway in that skate race too, it was kind of edge of your seat stuff. Like it was exciting. You saw people trying, you saw like, it, it, and you know, we've got a lot of criticism for that before, but I'm like, you guys say it's boring when Norway wins. And I'm like, I'm not saying it's boring when Norway wins. I'm saying it's boring when everyone's just cruising and no one's trying <laughs> until the end when you just saw the women do something differently. Uh, so that's all I'm saying. Um, but it was amazing to see Stenshagen. Like I don't, like Canadians and Americans just don't understand. Well, they, they kind of do. I mean, you can understand with like NHL, how hard it is to make a, a NFL roster, how hard it is to make a, a NHL roster. Like it, it's very, very difficult to get these opportunities. And, and Stenshagen is the Scandinavian cup leader, which is kind of like the farm league. Um, and you get a free, you get a free place for the world cup. And this is like as good as gold. This is like essentially like Charlie getting that golden chocolate bar wrapper in Willy Wonka's, uh, uh, in Ronald Dahl's book about Roald Dahl's book. But so like he, he's making good on these opportunities. And that's what I'm always so impressed with these younger Norwegian athletes that don't have a whole lot of world cup experience. Domlesta and the tour de ski. They, they just, they know that these opportunities are fleeting and they take them with both hands and they, they convert because they know they have to. And they also have the confidence. They, they, they train with the best in the world. So when they're around them, they know it's possible. And I love to see that belief. And he, he skied like the, I mean, he, he was a tactical masterclass. He did nothing. Stan Sagan did nothing all day. He just chilled and waited and then had a good sprint and ended up, ended up, um, ended up on first, first podium and Claybo in the sprint finish. Interesting. Like we also can't forget like Playbo's also been up and down with sickness and really struggling. And the guy's sprint the other day was like the day before he, he won goes all through the rounds, all that. That's a, that's a load here at middle altitude. And you've traveled eight time zones and Paul did not have to experience the same, the same load on his body. And Klebo uh, had the perfect position. Paul Goldberg led down the hill, but then like Klebo was obviously a bit shattered there at the end. Cause like you saw him like switching tracks and he was like stumbling a bit, look at this track. So he was like missing some speed. And then maybe the, well, the only time this year, maybe the only time in a number of years, because even when he got beat by Paul in the 50K in Planitza at World Championships last year, his technique was actually okay. It was like, not just okay, like amazing. But go back and look at that long drag in Camor, man. Like he, he fell apart technically. And that 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 is like never, ever, ever, ever happens to Johannes Klebo. So if he's going to be irritated or frustrated with anything, it's it's going to be that. Like Klebo can get beat, that's fine. But, but getting beat when you you he was stressed like he he i think he expected to just blow the doors off paul paul was hanging with him and then get a like maybe a boot ahead of him and then playbook starts rushing his technique something you never ever see and it all falls apart and paul wins uh, a beautiful victory and then poor man fifth you know he's also been struggling with um with with illness and and that was that was cool to see volness see like that's why the last kilometer was exciting and because volness should have been, you know, for sure beating Porama and Amundsen and stuff. But like, he was on the rivet a little bit because they did try a little bit on the, not a little bit. They tried on the last lap. The guys tried on the last lap, and that took the sting out of out of out of Allness. That just wasn't wasn't quite at the level. I'm tipping my hat to Vermulen again. Like, I don't know, he the guy's skiing outside of himself. Like, he's top ten in the classic race. Like, I don't know, he, he out sprints Nienga. That's crazy. So amazing racing by by the Austrian. It's been uh, been a wonderful week for him. And then and then Tony, you know, Tony looks so so good. Uh, it looked like he was thin on kick too to me. To be honest, I, I didn't think he I didn't think his skis looked. He didn't say anything about it. I haven't heard anything from the crews like, like in like group chats and stuff. But like I, I I thought like 
kind of early. He, he looked like he was jumping on his skis a little too much and it, it didn't look like he had like 10 out of 10 kick out there. And um, I think that cost him because like you said, it is, it is like six times up that big climb and, and he was 16th is solid. It's nothing to be like super, super, super disappointed, but like Tony in a, in a distance classic race, you know, he expects top 10 and rightly so he is that good. And uh, this was, you know, this was like a B minus kind of thing for him, but uh, you know, it's still fun to race in Canada, but the big North American story is uh, Sam Henry who grew up in Canmore. He was a talent as a junior, although like didn't, didn't have phenomenal results at world juniors or anything. I think he's 21st as best at world juniors, but he was still like one of the top junior for his age group um, bouncing kind of on and off the national team ended up going to school in the U S and, and, uh, going to the university of Utah where he was competing with Sophia Lockley and Luke Jagger and like all those guys and had success in the NCAA circuit. Um, but just like never converting. And he was 30th in the, in the skate race and in, in, which was solid and it, well, it's amazing for him, but not for Canada, but for him, it was solid. It was amazing. Sorry to be 30th. And, and then 21st. And I thought, he hung tough. And I, I know having been teammates with Alex, how important it is and how amazing it is to have the opportunity to compete, not just like in your home country, but like literally at your house, <laughs> Sam Henry is born and raised in Canmore. And I thought, you know, he's applied to medical school. He's been waffling a lot. You know, he, he he's not a Jesse Diggins type person. That's like, I'm in this, I'm going to be the best in the world. Here I go. He's always kind of had a lot of other interests. So I'm not sure how, how much more we'll see Sam Henry in the future. And if this is the last we kind of see of him on the world cup, because he takes a different direction in his life. Hey, 21st in a world cup at home, maybe not doesn't sound like a lot for the likes of like a Jesse Diggins or an Alex Harvey, but for a guy like Sam Henry to have arguably the best cross country ski race, of, not, not arguably to have the best cross country ski race of your whole entire life happen in your hometown in front of your friends and family. Oh, I tipped my hat. I goosebumps. It was, it was a great performance. And yeah, he just got popped on that last lap when the pace lifted, he just didn't have it when there was one lap to go. But I mean, he's also just not at the level that these other guys are at. That's, that's the facts. I, I, I loved, uh, we, you know, we talked about trying to get Sam on the podcast today and, he was like, well, uh, I, I could do it at 11 p.m. Devin Kershaw time, which unfortunately Devin is not a full-time podcaster. So that didn't work for Devin. But the reason was he has a job. He's like, you know, he's 21st on the World Cup on uh, Sunday. And then Monday he's back at work at like an orthopedic clinic. So uh, we we couldn't get Sam. But, I, you know, and, and there are a few other athletes who are literally just like staying at home with their parents because, you know, here we are in, in Canmore, which is kind of um, – the the headquarters of canadian cross-country skiing so um yeah we've got a day off today and then we've got uh oh what well we got to pour one out for scott patterson who you know i think really could have had a, a great day yesterday and then like was having breakfast and like or something in yesterday morning and stood up and like had a, a episode where he just like felt faint fell over hit his head and couldn't race and so i think scott was you know, he, he took, he took that one on the chin. I saw him last night and, you know, he was, he was in good spirits, but like what, what a bummer just to, you know, be feeling good after that eighth place in the skate race and have to miss, you know, race on a course that like, um, you know, I think suited him pretty well. So, um, sorry, Scott, and, uh, hope, hope to see you back on good form in, in, uh, Minneapolis. Um, and yeah, we got one more race tomorrow. Then everyone's going to 
fly to Minneapolis for like a, a very different vibe. It's been good crowds. It was really good crowds on Saturday, less so yesterday, but still like, you know, some really good vibes out on the big hill there. Um, you know, the organizers, I think have been doing a fabulous job. Um, it's been like a real kind of party festival vibes here in, in Canmore and, um, really, really enjoying it. Folks have been super generous. So, um, excited to have one more day and then a few days off and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take it to the twin cities. Oh, it's going to be amazing. I'm so jealous that you're there and, uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I can't speak enough good things about the volunteers and the whole ski community. Kenmore is just such an incredibly important place for me. And yeah, it's, it's home really. It feels like, it feels like home even still. So uh, it's been really, really special to just watch it on TV and um, looking forward to some fast and exciting sprints tomorrow and seeing some of these younger Canadians also like, you know, like a Xavier McKeever who, who's been struggling here uh, at home, but a classic sprint is something that that uh, suits him well and he knows the course well. So let's hope uh, he can have a, a good day to end his World Cup at home and, and then off to Minneapolis, which will be a zoo and pandemonium. And I'm so looking forward to seeing that. And I'm also very, very saddened that I won't be live on site because I think everything points to the fact that this thing is going to be like, it's almost going to put Alex Harvey's uh, Quebec City Plains of Abraham madness to shame. But of course, everything's bigger in the U.S., so that doesn't surprise me. So it's uh, it's always fun to have races in, in North America. And you're a hell of a man doing a hell of a job, Nat. And to the listeners, sorry you had to listen to my bullshit for the last 50 minutes, but that's kind of what you sign up for. <laughs> so Absolutely. Uh, I've heard from a lot of people who are... Uh... Wishing Devin Kershaw was uh, in the house here in Canmore. So um, cool. Well, we'll we'll sign off. We'll be back uh, after tomorrow's race. And uh, everyone hang in there. Devin, get some rest. Thanks, man. Back to the hospital tomorrow, bright and early.